Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Abishalach, Exodus 13, verse 17 through chapter 17. Uh, are there any comments or questions or things that you have uh, issues with, or things you're not quite sure about? They have, they, I can answer for you now because I may or may not get to them depending on what topic they happen to be. Yes, go ahead. Uh, uh, Daniel, is your hand up? Um, I, you know, if you get a chance sometime during your presentation, um, I'd like to hear a comment about uh, chapter 17, verse 6. One moment here. It says, I will stand before you on the rock and harm. Are there any comments or questions uh, that you may have that I can either write down or answer now? It looks like Pamela has a question. Uh, go ahead, Pamela. Um, I've learned that when they're talking about how much manna to collect during the week, and if they collected too much, it was going to rot. Yes. Um, except um, it would that which is not collected, all the leftovers melted in the sun when it got hot. And it, it teaches: do not hoard, do not hoard food. That's a great. That's a great viewpoint. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was confined to a certain span in time. Uh, there's a yeah, hoard, hoard, hoarding. <laughs> Lauren says hoarding and preparing for famine are two different things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting uh, because it, it's interesting philosophy or concept because you have uh, obviously in the case of Joseph, uh, collecting or storing food was a positive thing uh, because obviously he was saving all of Egypt and for that matter all the world at that time for a seven year span. And in this instance, it's not a positive thing to save or just or prepare for it. But there's interesting at the same time. This also t- is one of our, one of, is not the first, but one of the first introductions to what Sabbath means and preparing for Shabbat. So you're correct to point as far as the whole, the, the hoarding is not, not a value to you because uh, God is, is your provider. And that's a very fundamental uh, uh, comment as far as understanding, which you have to understand it and, 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 and comprehend. At the same time, when it came to Joseph preparing for an eventual occurrence that he knew was going to happen in seven years span from the time which he was talking to, to, to Pharaoh, he had to hoard store large amount of, of, of food for everybody to, in order to keep people alive. Just like in this instruction for Shabbat, we also have that you will shall store up or you shall collect twice as much for that particular uh, uh, portion for, for Friday, Friday day or for double that, that Friday morning in order to prepare to, to, to accommodate for Shabbat. So it's a, it's a funny dual Dual function, a uh, dual lesson. Uh, one, hoarding is not valuable to you. On the other hand, preparing for the future is. It's like, huh, how does that work? Well, it's interesting because uh, hoarding is not the teaching meaning don't try to hoard, but the, the, the purpose is uh, God is your provider, and that's a good thing. But also when he tells you something is going to be coming up, prepare for it. He provides for you, but he also instructs you, prepare for it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't leave it as if it's, as if it's all, oh, don't worry, God, I'll take care of it. I'm, I'm fine. And not prepare for Shabbat. Not prepare for the 
the known upcoming events. You know them. Different's going to happen. So we shouldn't learn uh, horticulture. Horticulture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, uh, when you were that's reading. Horticulture. <laughs> oh. Details. Sorry. Uh, you're. you're uh, uh, Who's 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 speaking? Is it? Oh, it's is it? Oh, the one over there. Yeah, the guy I haven't heard of for for like two couple months. Go ahead. Uh, 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 so when you were reading in uh, Amal- the 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 verse Amalek. about Amalek, was it that Joshua defeated Amalek or weakened Amalek? Because like, it says weakened, weakened. So he weakened. So he didn't necessarily. So in this portion, at least, the Israelites didn't wipe them out. Correct. And so that's the commandment of God is to go and wipe them out. That God would make it, it's, it's, it's God's responsibility to make sure this opportunity comes up, but that uh, it is your individual, not say Joshua per se, but somebody, whoever he assigns it, responsibility to actually go do it. So it's a combination of God will make sure the event happens thus you can, and that's your responsibility to actually go do that thing, uh, whatever it may be at the timing. And that's an important fundamental principle that happens when, uh, which we in our modern day ex- history have experienced it in the form of uh, uh, the last hundred years or so of Israel's restoration in the form of, so God made the events, the opportunity show up, then it's responsible to the individuals that there say, okay, now the opportunity is here. God's allowed the opportunity. Now actually go do it. Not, not, don't neglect the actual, there, there's requirement to actually go do the thing when he says, now is the time. Uh, Rose, your hand was up. Go ahead, Rose. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to refer uh, Daniel to First uh, Corinthians ten, one through four, mm-hmm. and he'll know who that rock is. Right, <laughs> that's we're, we're actually we're covering that we're covering that today. That the the, the, the that that chapter uh, is part of our. Oh, our, our oh good, today. okay. So yes, that, that's part of that uh, discussion as far as uh, uh, what that means. And Pamela's hand is Pamela up. has hand up hand up. Today. Go ahead, Pamela. What's what's your uh, what's your comment? Okay, when they were talking about water and they were grumbling against Moses, they were blaming Moses instead of going to prayer for the Lord. But down here when it's talking about Amalek, um, Moses had to keep his hands up. So um, that's my question. It seems like, first of all, they were trying to blame Moses for the lack of water. But then down here when they're battling Amalek, it was important for Moses to keep his hands raised. So um, that seems confusing. kind of contradictory. Yeah, confusing, isn't it? Um, it's actually yes. interesting. Uh, we're talking a little bit about that uh, today. Uh, not, not necessarily in that context of your question, but as far as the nature of, of the people going to Moses for certain instances and God's uh, reaction, which is, is counterintuitive on certain, certain moments in time that seems opposing for what, he was, what, he, what he's trying to teach them. And what that might mean, what 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 it could, what the implication means, and then as far as later on, in in, in this case, yes, most responsible for certain tasks, certain things that he he he's required to do. Uh, why isn't like, for example, uh, if you want to just you know pray to God, God take care of us, and God helps us go and wipe out Amalek, right, or, or at least to defeat them in this particular battle, instead of having Moses having to have his arms up the whole time to actually make it happen. Why is this so important for Moses for during fighting Amalek, but yet? The other, it's not important for, for the, 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 the other needs and such. It, there's, it, for lack of a better way of, of 
of of condensing it down in a simple explanation is that Amatu mentioned before when there's certain preparations, God says, you know these are going to happen. These are events that are going to occur. You have a responsibility, and I have a responsibility to actually carry them out. Um, actually, that, that is our introductory topic, actually, uh, as we ever discussed this in the chapter 13 uh, and 17. Let's go there and we'll help possibly explain a bit on what's happening with Moses later on on that mountain. So back to Exodus 13, there's an interesting uh, term when God is using and it's important for us not to neglect or uh, not pay attention to these particular phrases. It's, it's, it's designed to catch your attention because it's designed to give you a, a, a moment to think, so what exactly is he saying? Because this is counterintuitive. So let's go back a little bit, 13 verse 17. We'll, we'll start be able to explain a little bit on Moses' responsibility of certain instances and not others. This is when it came to pass, uh, Pharaoh said to the people God, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines because it was nearer. For God said, perhaps people will reconsider when they see a war and they'll return to Egypt. So he's turning people toward the way of the wilderness to the sea of reeds. The children of Israel were armed when they went up from the land of Egypt. I'll pause there for a minute. So note, God didn't say, actually the Hebrew phrases here, doesn't say that the route is going to take they take them through, they will not see war. doesn't say that. He says, least they see war, they'll turn around. His goal was to block their exit. They can't turn around when they see war. They're going to see war. God knew that. He was leading them in a route that was going to result in them seeing war. They're going to have to fight. So now that we know they were going to have to fight and God knew they were going to have to fight and God made sure they couldn't turn around and go back because it was not possible because you can't go back to the Red Sea without lots of boats. Um, the, the, the return, the fleeing was not an option. So it tells us that God had prepared this route. And mind you, don't kid yourself. God is the one who is leading them through the route they're taking. That includes, he's the one in the cloud. He's the one, the guy in the, the, the light at nighttime and such. So he knows what peoples he is taking them near. He knows that Amalek is there. He's taking the route that is around or near Amalek. He knew full well Amalek was going to fight because God's not an idiot. He knows these things. He knew, he knew that Amalek had a long-standing war and hatred of Egyptians, and he, they loved to fight them. That's, it, was, it was a long-standing history between them, and that was, a, that was nothing new to them. And so that he didn't want them to go the route through the top half of Egypt up into Israel because that route, they would see him like, and they'd have a way of returning home. Why did it prevent that way? You cannot return home back to Egypt. He had to block their exits, block their retreat. So when they saw Amalek and saw war, they actually had to fight. So they knew ahead of time, but the people may or may not have known, I can't speak what they knew, but God knew ahead of time, war, they're going to see war. Now that we know they're going to see war, God knew they're going to see war. God made sure as it were quarter, they went out armed. They, they had swords. They had their tools. They could fight. It wasn't a problem necessary. They weren't going to say they couldn't fight. They could fight. They went out armed. They had weaponry to arm and fight with, them, fight with when they came across these wars. So this is a, a known event that Moses, I assume Moses was not shocked to find warring people. Mind you, he's been living in the area for a long time. He knew this area very well, the fact that there were tribes and warring people. 
So I imagine he probably was aware of the nature of the people who were there. So I couldn't, I can't imagine he was, he was terribly surprised that Amalek would necessarily fight. Maybe he was, but I highly doubt he would have been. A rather ignorant person to avoid that because it's well known in history that Amalek was a fighter. So in this instance, he would have known most likely that they were going to run across the war, a war across fighting, and, may, and they had to have armed stuff with them, swords, spears, whatever they got. I don't really know. I, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't there to, to see. Whatever they had, they had arm, armament. So knowing there's a war, know there's going to be a war, know you're going to have to fight, what responsibility do you have now that you know what the future is going to hold to prepare for it? So in this instance, now we have, let's jump to Pamela's uh, comment or question or commentary regarding uh, uh, Amalek and Moses with the arms up. So Moses, knowing they're going to have to fight, or at least should have known they're going to have to fight, because he's the one who actually wrote down this fact that at least they see war, perhaps they'll reconsider. So he wrote it down. So he would have to have known. So he knew they were going to have to fight. What responsibility does he or Josh, that matter, or all of us people have for actually fighting? If you knew a thief was going to break into your home, what responsibility do you have to defend your home? If you knew someone was going to cause harm to your family, what responsibility do you have to prevent the harm? Well, if you know it, is that not your responsibility to do something about it? If Joshua knew Egypt was going to go through seven years of famine, was it not his responsibility once it, get, once it was granted him to actually to physically do it? Responsibility, sorry, it's jo- I'm going to say Joseph, not Joshua. I get my, myself mixed up. Wrong words. Sorry about that. <laughs> when, when Joseph knew for seven years uh, that he was going to go across the family, was going to come in Egypt, was it not his responsibility as well as Pharaoh's to do something about it? So we have a certain level of responsibility with things that you know. When things you don't know, things you cannot prepare for, things are beyond your control, beyond your knowledge, beyond your ability, that's a different ball game. That's a different category. That's a different section. And we discuss that, and actually God comes across this in the instance of the first bitter waters. Uh, in this instance, which God brings into the bitter waters, as after, we're not going to, I'm going to get briefly, because the other things we have to talk about first, but God is the one who's leading them through the path, this wandering path up and down and sideways in different directions. He knew where he was leading them. He knew he was heading into waters that were going to be bitter. They couldn't drink. So they get there. Great. We're here. Here's water. Uh, we can't drink this. We, it's not consumable. Uh, God, we die if we don't have water. He, he wasn't shocked. Like, oh, you mean, you mean you, didn't, you didn't prepare? You didn't bring gallons and gallons of water with you guys when you exited Egypt? Well, wh- yeah, you brought everything else. Well, why couldn't you bring that too? You didn't, you, you, didn't, you didn't think ahead of time? Right, because that's beyond their ability to prepare for. You and I can prepare for water for only so long. Eventually, to go get more. We don't, our bodies don't store it like a camel. We have so much long, we have to have water to replenish it. So God knew that. Yeah, dig pipelines with you, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't want to cut that now. <laughs> dig, dig a whole line for it. Uh, irrigation. Anyway, so He knew this was beyond the ability to do. Therefore, if it's beyond your ability, you cannot do anything about it. It's beyond your your capability of fixing and addressing and 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 and, and ha- taking care of. The responsibility can't be yours then if you can't do it. Therefore, it falls on God to do here since. Here's the water. Yes, it's bitter. I'm going to fix it for you. And we'll show what's going on. We're going to lead you. We'll drink the water. Then we'll lead you to more water later on. So the things that are beyond your ability is one category. Things that are well known for and you should have prepared for because you knew it was going to happen is a whole different category. You know this is going to occur. Prepare accordingly and get ready for it. That's a, a, a fundamental lesson that you will run across, I think, throughout most of the Tanakh 
even Messiah points to the same thing. Uh, you know something's going to occur. Prepare for it accordingly because you know what the future holds. This isn't a shocking thing. You know this stuff. So act according to what you already know. Uh, so the comment here is uh, maybe they stripped the bodies of Pharaoh's armies before they washed ashore. That is possible. They would have stripped some. I don't know how much because metal is very heavy. So it's not going to float very much. <laughs> I don't really know. I'm not sure how many bodies that would have all the armaments still on them as far as weaponry is concerned. Uh, I imagine they probably could get some, but I, 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 you've been in, I have never done this, but I'm sure some of all you have. Try to jump in a body of water with heavy metal on you. Lots of it. Um, I, I haven't done it myself because I, I kind of intuitively figured I wouldn't get up very well. But those of you who, who do like scuba diving for a living, heavy stuff being done, you're, you're free with that. You know how it works. But I'm, I'm not somebody who does that. So I'm sure the dead bodies probably would have had something on them. But I don't know how much uh, to, to, you could actually you know, go out and harvest per se. And I'm not sure who would actually want to. But that's you know, not my business. Uh, that's kind of a thing beyond my, beyond my ability. Anyhow, hopefully that says a little bit, Pamela, regarding the nature of how things sometimes change in our story. Sometimes it's Moses' responsibility, sometimes it's not. Sometimes Moses has to do something, sometimes he does not have to do things. Sometimes God has to say, God takes care of it, sometimes he does not. So what's going on for us, what you know, what you can prepare for, what you can't know, what you cannot prepare for. Um, so let's. That was a good explanation to draw those two uh, references together. Uh, Exodus 13, 11. Where God is, you know, saying, "Well, I'm going to lead them the other way because they're going to see war," and then seventeen, seventeen. I think those two really yeah. should be referenced together. That and and and, and that's and it's a it's a I think it's a good viewpoint of paying attention why they're why they're in the Torah portion. Um, that they're not back to back chapter per se, but as far as they're close together in, in in the context of what we're covering, to understand that there's 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 a relationship between you and God and us and God each of us that we have to deal with on certain tasks, certain responsibilities we have. Like, like for example, you know, the certain conduct that you're supposed to uh, adhere to and some conduct you're supposed to avoid. You know them, you know their responsibility is on you to do certain, some, some of these things. And some responsibilities are beyond you to do. You, I mean, I don't have power over what my government does. It's well beyond me. Therefore, it's none of my business. But I know what I personally can do, my own family, my children can do, and what the conduct is and what's not acceptable. Things are beyond my control. I can't handle. I can't do anything about. It. I can, you know, vote. I can complain. I can, you know, riot like some people do. I can break stuff, but that's that's rotten too. So that's, that's worse behavior. But anyway, uh, but as far as things I can do, how I conduct myself, how I treat other people, how with the God's given to me, those type of tasks, they are my responsibility to actually do them right. And if I do it well, that means I become a trustworthy, also known as a faithful servant. Trustworthy and faithful is is, is synonymous. Okay, let's move a little bit forward, forward on this uh, on this topic. Uh, let's see here. We're going to, we're, uh, as far as the oath that that far as bringing the bones up and such, we're going to discuss, discuss that again. That's uh, it's an oath of an oath. So, in the phrase phraseology, there it it, it means typically, and the, the oath inside of it, oaths, what the actual phrase means that that uh, Joshua had. Uh, Joshua, sorry, keep saying it, keep screwing that up. Joseph, uh, Joseph had specified uh, when uh, he said, you, God will surely lift you up out of here. So Joseph is pointing out there is a promise, an oath, an agreement that God's going to bring you up to Egypt. Within this agreement, this promise, this proxy I'm giving to you, you will all swear my bones up too. So it's, a, it's an oath within an oath. So it's an oath that God's going to do this, guaranteed, taken care of. But on top of that, 
you will also do this as as a reaction or as a response to it when it happens. So it's an oath within side of an oath, hence it's written there twice, the, the adjured oath or a binding oath or an oath of an oath that he had uh, put against them. So again, chapter 14, much of it before that God knows full well the route he's taking them. He's not foolish. He had them in camp because he knew this, is what, this was the plan. This was the objective to get Pharaoh and all of his people to get angry and come after them. So I don't know how many days it took them to get to the Red Sea per se. I know approximately day where they cross it, but as far as how many days it took to get there, I don't know. They may have taken two or three days. In Jewish tradition, it took them three to four days to actually get there, and they encamped and stayed put. That's your tradition. They did nothing. They just sat there and waited for Pharaoh to show up. I don't know if that's true or not. We can debate that. Who knows? But God's objective was that, okay, you're here. That's great. Now chill out and just wait. I got something to do. And of course, Pharaoh's army comes. Now, it, it's interesting that God is obviously telling this information to Moses. We do not know if Moses relayed all this to the children of Israel or not. I, I, would, I would like to think he would have, but maybe he didn't. I don't know. If he didn't relay it, they'd be really shocked when they saw Pharaoh. But if they did relay it, maybe they wouldn't be so shocked. But this is what I want to point out to you, this, this, this important uh, 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 route or important concept here that God is going through this is that Moses reacts to people when they see, oh no, the bad guys are here. He said, chill out, do nothing, stand still, be quiet. Do nothing. Watch the salvation of your Lord. So this is an important Passover principle that the Messiah talks about, Messiah embodies. We discuss this in the past, we'll discuss it again briefly right now. We know that Messiah was a type of Passover. We call him Passover lamb for a reason. And he died, for, of course, during the Passover season, of course, was resurrected and, and, and brought back to, to life. And, of course, was up in heaven now. And, and he died on our behalf for our sins. As Christians, we understand that concept is pretty well hammered into us as from children onward. However, in this instance, there's something which is being explained to us in this. That this is chapter 14, verse uh, 10 through 12. It says this, this, this detail that he's saying, you as children of Israel, to get this salvation, to be saved by Pharaoh's, or saved from Pharaoh, saved from Pharaoh, saved from Pharaoh's army, to not die, do nothing. Do nothing. Why? Should you just pick up rocks and ready to throw them or something? No. Do nothing. Because salvation is a gift. The principle of Passover being saved is an act that God does, not man. Hence, salvation is a gift. You're being gifted it. And your responsibility, do nothing. Just watch. See it happen. Accept it, move forward. Just when it happens, just move forward. But do nothing. Just stand still. Don't complain. Don't bicker. Don't pick up your rocks. You're ready to throw. Don't grab your spears. Don't grab whatever you got. Just chill out. Do nothing. Stand still. Because salvation is a gift. As Christians, we understand salvation is a gift. There's nothing shocking there. But the principle itself, we understand that because it's written here, and Messiah then duplicated it when he died. Salvation is a gift. Now, we're not discussing all the other symbols. We're just in the context of salvation alone. Salvation is a gift that's given to you. 
it, it, it's granted to you. It's just here it is, it's yours. Well, people, yeah, they, you've heard the term, I, I'm going to butcher this phrase, so I apologize. But I've heard the term multiple times that, you know, oh, I'm not going to lose my salvation, am I? You, you can't lose something that's been gifted to you. That's because salvation is a gift. Now, you may lose your rewards. <laughs> you may lose other things. We lose a whole lot of life and, a, and, and peace and joy and happiness and everything else as far as all the holiness represented and everything else you may lose, but not salvation. As you point out, even Messiah said the same thing in a different form, of course. He used the phrase of, of, of those who teach against the law or teach, or teach those who not obey or just disobey God, uh, that, that, that they will be, what was that? Oh, yeah. Uh, that they will be uh, uh, least in the kingdom of God. It doesn't say they won't be there. It says they'll be least. It's because salvation is a gift. It was given to them. That's fine. We're not discussing salvation. We're discussing what are you going to do there? What's your job? What's your assignment? Are you the doorkeeper or the doormat? <laughs> Whatever it may be. Are you the, the custodian that sweeps the, the people's feet as they come in because you you're not allowed to go inside? Or what? what, what, what is, is this your, your, your assigned task? It says that the, you may still be there, you just be least there. Yes, King David said, Dorky, you're better than a thousand years elsewhere. So even that's not so bad. Salvation is still a great, great, great gift. Don't get me wrong. Don't, I'm not knocking it down. It's a wonderful gift. Eternal life is a great thing. But uh, it, it's something which is given to you. And when God gives it to you, uh, he doesn't take it back. You may throw it away. That's your responsibility. But he doesn't take it back, per se. Uh, you can still throw things away. We, we, we do that all the time. We have a trash society with them and that really really well anyway um so yeah so this is a gift so the object of this gift is don't do anything now mind you he's not referring to uh, uh problems that that happen with inside people he's referring to an external event external stuff uh jeff your hand is up i don't know if you're going to get to this but uh how does that relate to the principle of not entering in to the land right so um yeah, it was part of this torah portion um eh, i may not have time to cover that type of topic but we we come a little just briefly just to, just 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 to, I, didn't, I didn't write those scriptures for that for that particular topic but so uh there's a few details regarding uh gifts and what god's doing for you uh for example first before we cover that one we have to lead into that a little bit uh, in this topic here, when we're exiting the, the sea, your hands up. I can't. Oh, whose hand is that? Is that Tammy? Tammy. Yeah. Oh, Tammy's hands up. Sorry, Tammy. Maybe, maybe one way to think of it is like I have Jared sitting here next to me. So if he gives me this mug, right? Okay, I could lose this mug. Totally. I could break it or whatever, right? Right. <laughs> now you, you're you're done. Oh. Okay. You're, you're ruining the point. He's not allowed to take it back. Okay. <laughs> So if Jared gives me this mug, let's say a birthday present, he has something really wrapped up nice and pretty and gives me a birthday present. Mm -hmm. Now, I can lose that birthday present. Totally. But okay. I would never be able to lose the heart behind it. Meaning that right. if Jared went to the store, he thought about me, he gave me something he thought that was, would help me and be special to me, mm -hmm. that heart behind the gift, that can never be lost. That's a great analogy. That's well, well, well said. Well said. So that, you know, that part, you know, Jared's you know, not supposed to be able to take it back. <laughs> <laughs> but God doesn't take it back. It, 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 he gave it to you. you know, 
As Terry pointed out, yeah, you can lose it. You can throw it away. You can say, I don't need this. Chuck it, break it. But that's your business, your responsibility. That gets in this topic we're talking about right now, as Jeff brought it up, uh, is that uh, so in this instance, the Messiah's the, 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 the example of this as well, but God and Moses, God was pointing out that, hey, you guys do nothing still because this is an external thing called the Pharaoh and his army against the Israelites over here. This is an external thing. This is not an internal problem. So when we're dealing with struggles and difficulties, when things are external to us and against us, there's only there's limited things you can do about external things attacking or coming against. However, don't confuse this uh, uh, these difficulties and such with internal stuff. If I have internal problems, I don't get to just stand still and wait and God fix them. I have internal issues I need to address. Guess what? Address your internal issues. Continuing on in them, in that lifestyle, in those internal struggles, in those internal way of life. Hey, I'm content with my pornography, everything I do. That's an internal problem. I can't just say, oh, well, I'm saved. It's all good. No, it's not. Those are internal problems. Now, if somebody comes out and attacks you with a sword and a spear and a, and a gun or whatever, that's now we call it an external problem. <laughs> I don't have a shield. I don't have, I don't have, I can't defend myself. So there's external. God says, don't worry about it. I got it. Internal, no, you got it. <laughs> Take care of your internal problems. You, I'll help you with it, but you got to address them. And so, and also, don't confuse the 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 the, the trials and difficulties that that is being addressed here with Moses in the Red Sea. Don't confuse them with also things and problems of our own making. Uh, we we invite problems and invite misery and invite trials and invite temptations and invite them into our lives. Again, that's why we have to address those invitations we are sending out to, to, to the world, to the people around us. So when we deal with salvation and say, okay, these, these are, stay still, chill out, God will take care of you. We're referring to this, the, the example given here of things that were outside of you are going to attack or assault or cause harm to you, which Messiah then addressed, obviously, in the form of you're going to die for the sins because the sin, the Torah in this example, and Messiah's example, is assigned is that is the assignment is to execute or to kill you in that res- consequence of what you did, but in the case of internal issues, Moses does not address them at this time. They are addressed in other holiday examples as well as things of our own making. We call them iniquities. Um, those are also addressed in other holiday examples. So we're only discussing the external. Here's a gift given to you, as Terry pointed out. What you then do with it? Now well, that's on you. Uh, do you want to drink from it? Do you want to throw it? Dump on a guy's head. I don't need the water. <laughs> what do you want to do? Now it's on your responsibility. It is in your hands. You are now, what do I do with it? Do, as Jeff pointed out, do I enter the land or do I not? Now the land's there. Opportunity exists. It's been given to, given to me, the 10 spies and such. Do I enter the land? That's my responsibility. That's my aspect of my component. What I do with it is what I'm going to do with this thing now that I have it. It was given to me, but what I do with it is what matters. But it's a separate, separate topic. We won't discuss too much into that because that's on the Torah portion regarding the book of Numbers. And I think it's 10. Yeah, I forgot the chapter it is. Maybe 14. Uh, it discusses the, the, uh, the discussion of the t- 10 spies and, and the rejection of the gift that God has given to you. Okay. Um, we're going to jump to the New Testament a little bit for a few things. We'll come back here to the Torah portion in a, in a little while regarding some of these t- difficulties. Uh, so in... Uh, this, uh, this passage, this Torah portion, is used in different examples 
indirectly, sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly, throughout our Bibles as examples of, of understanding what the principles being taught to us. One of the examples I want to bring up to you, which I know all of you as Christians know this probably by heart by now, but that's all right. I'll read it to you anyway. Uh, in James, book of James, it discusses the nature of trials and difficulties or struggles. These are not bad things. So people are, are, are sitting there on the shore. They see this great thing coming at them. It's called Pharaoh and his army. And it's a massive trial. What do I do? How do I handle this? God, you're supposed to save me and fix these and prevent all bad things from ever happening to me again. Wouldn't we all like that? Never have a bad thing happen to us as long as we lived. Woohoo. <laughs> Life's easy. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. Uh, it's supposed to be difficult. It's supposed to be a struggle. God points out in the case when he, when he first introduced our Torah portion about, yeah, at least they, when they see war, they don't go back. You're going to see war. You're going to see battle. You're going to see struggle. You're going to see fighting. You're going fa- to feel like you're going to fail. It's okay. You're going to see them. Don't back down. These are your difficulties. These are your struggles. So James chapter 1, I love this book. It's great. And James chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 1, it's, it's obviously the introductory section, the first few verses there, discuss the, 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 I'm looking at the entire topic because it has, I mean, the entire book has a lot of different uh, uh, personal actions and conduct with inside yourselves because James addresses a lot of internal things they talks about as well as some things of our own making as opposed to an example I gave with, with Moses, the Red Sea, it is an external thing. But even that, even with internal things, we still have trials and struggles and temptations to deal with. So James 1 says, James, a servant of God and the Lord of Jesus Christ, uh, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings, my brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If he lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, without reproach, and will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no double, without no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the driven, sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is double-minded, unstable in his ways. Pause. Trials and temptations and difficulties, that, 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 is, that is part of this good things you're going to go through. Um, this is one thing I want to point out. Uh, you will we run across also, I think it's in, oh, crud. Did I write that down? I don't think I wrote it down. The verse that has the Red Sea likening to the baptism. I think it's Romans. I'm just kidding. The likening of the baptism to the Red Sea. Note that they go through Red Sea, the baptism and such, with the idea of you, we get baptized, okay, we don't know, our wash away, our old way of life, and, uh, and oops, my books are on top of my keyboard, it's making a bunch of, you know, <laughs> peas across the screen. <laughs> uh, so, uh, bad things in life, difficulties, and struggles like that. Then they'll get washed away in the sea, we get washed away to baptism, and then our life is great and perfect and grand and all things happy and good. Uh, does it work that way? Obviously, we know that as human beings, uh, we still struggle. Because as we example in, 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 in this Torah portion with Amalek, after they went to the Red Sea, now we're going to war. So after your baptism, now it's time for war. Now it's time to fight, to fight against those struggles, fight against those things that are attacking you and trying to destroy you. Those various things that cause issues and problems and in life and, and, and the struggles you're going to go through. So 
don't kid yourself in that there will not be some major difficulties you're going to go through. As God pointed out, you're going to go through war. You're going to have your battles and you're going to try your best and try to survive and, and fight them. Hence, the great example we have with Moses with the arms up. So we have the symbolism of through prayer, the whole arms being prayer. You're battling this battle, Amalek, through your prayer in the form of Moses with his arms up. So you're not going to battle this alone. Oh, thank you. The watch is, is, is the is the Corinthians ten, first Corinthians ten. Actually, we'll get there later. I, I did write it down then. Yeah, okay. I forgot. <laughs> uh, so this battle you're going to Amalek, you're not alone through the battle. That's the nature of it. Unlike prior to, before the Red Sea, before the ten plagues, you're fighting Egypt in the form of a slave. They they got the whips, whack, whack, whack. You're okay. Here's your here's your bricks. Toss, toss, toss. As if it's that easy. Um, you're making bricks because the whack and whack on your back. Uh, this whole process, you're fighting against the stick or whip that's hitting you in the back. That's your battle. Are you weeding? If you're not sure what the answer, the answer is no. You're not winning. <laughs> you're fighting it, and you're producing what the whip is telling you to produce. Brick after brick after brick after brick after brick. But you're not winning because you're alone in this battle. One like the Red Sea gave us all the ten plagues did as well. That we're not alone. The God is there, and then of course, once we go through our baptism, go through our trials, wash away. It's not life is grand and easy. Now, it's when the actual fighting comes, because now you're armed. Now you have the weapons to fight against that whip. Now you have a sword in your hand. Now you have a shield in your hand. You have your helmet and such. You have the tools you need to fight against these, 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 these attackers, this sin, these transgressions that, that you're supposed to fight against. You have the tools that are granted to you now. Here they, you have them, and now you have the tools to fight. And now God's saying, go fight. Go fight. I gave the tools. Now the job is fight with them. Use them. Don't sit back, say, thanks for tools. I'll make sure they don't get rusty as I put them on my wall, look good on there on the bookshelf, and, and uh, dust it occasionally. Yeah, I got it. I got the tools. What is the utter waste of that? You give the tool, and now you say, thank you for the tool, God. Now I know what to do. I'll put it on the bookshelf or behind me. Click. I'll check it out whenever I feel like it later. Decades go by. Oh, yeah, tool's still there. Thanks, God. What good was that? Give the tool to somebody else. Take it back to you. <laughs> I'm not, not, not a good example for the mug that, that, that Tammy had, had pointed out. But, but you're given the tools. You're expected to actually use them. Do something with them. Uh, each of us who, who have jobs, those who, who, you, you, you have a job. You're given the tools to do the job. Go do the job. You don't say, thank you, boss, for tools. I'll sit them on my desk and do nothing with them. Why on earth did he waste his effort giving you any tools? You're not going to do anything with them. Give somebody who will do something with them. That's a whole olive tree. Whack the branch off. Put a new one on. <laughs> we can replace you. <laughs> you get fired and get a new person who will use those tools and use them properly. So, so we have the tools given so to in, us in, now. That in other words, things. you want a talented worker. Right. <laughs> yes, a talented worker. Uh, okay, let's move forward here. So that was James. So yeah, we go through trials. It's okay to go through trials. Trials are your difficulties and you're going to struggle and you're going to hopefully succeed, but sometimes you may fail. This is with it. Um, let's move forward again also with uh, 1 Corinthians. We're going to go to the next. 1 Corinthians 10. We'll go back to the Torah portion in a minute. 1 Corinthians 10. I'm going to find 1 Corinthians. 
it is talks about this topic, this 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 tour portion in particular. Let's see here. Actually, so to be fair, first give these ten talk about a few things that are in this tour portion. Actually, in the next one, if you want, that follows suit, uh, but. It's all kind of jumbled together because reality is when the authors of the New Testament were writing their, their, their books down, they didn't have it broken up to, well, this tour portion talk about this chapter, next tour portion, the next, they didn't break it that way. It was a whole topic. So we don't have the nice, convenient, pre-broken up section. So, so this stuff incorporates a whole bunch of stuff all at once. So 1 Corinthians 10, let's discuss that real quick. It reads accordingly. 1 Corinthians 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they all drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Pause. Um, so again, with the whole going through Red Sea was the external forces, you know, Pharaoh's army coming after you, uh, lusting after other things. That is an internal problem. <laughs> again, sins of our uh, internal or sins of our own making those we still are responsible for to take care of. Let's continue on. Do not become idolaters as were some of them, as is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor murmur as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happen to them as examples that they are written for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except just as common to all men, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Pause. So in the case of even the case of this, you could argue with temptation, but this difficult, this struggle that children were going through, they have this massive army coming behind them. Oh no, no way of escape. God says, chill out. Don't do anything. I'll take care of this. Moses, why are you crying to me? Go do your job. Split the sea and get, go through it. So he even that, and that obviously was a miracle, not saying we all get those fanciful, you know, beautiful miracles, part of the Red Sea kind of thing when we have a temptation. But it'd be nice if we did, uh, but we don't. So, uh, but they got one. So the point is, even if there isn't one, even if it doesn't appear to be possible, no way out of temptation could possibly occur. This trial has to go through. God says, don't worry, there is a way out. You now, we may or may not see, or may not understand, or be willing to take the way out, but there is a way out, whatever the way out may be. So those temptations are positive things. Those are good things that we go through on purpose. Now, Daniel's comment, his question about the whole, since it's brought up here in 1 Corinthians, uh, this topic about uh, the, the, who's standing the rock. So um, your comment was, what does that mean regarding that God will be standing before we're standing near the rock when Moses struck the rock? Now, uh, this 1 Corinthians uh, discusses this topic that this rock that Moses strikes in, in the Torah portion, how it is read, not here, but also elsewhere later on, when Moses is supposed to speak to it, but he strikes it instead, it's the same exact rock. So our Torah is concerned, this rock travels with them 
at the different places that they go. So that's the way it's worded. Now, I'm not saying that they had to do that. That's how the Torah portion is worded. It is worded that the rock moved. I don't know if it sprouted legs. I don't know how it moved. Maybe it rolled. You're rock and roll, right? <laughs> this whole process, right? Maybe it did that. I don't know. But whatever it is. bringing the Rolling Stones into this. Yeah, Rolling Stones, right? <laughs> so we don't know how it did it. But the way it's worded is that this rock is the same rock that Moses hit the first time, splits it. And the second time he's supposed to hit, it's to speak to it, and he hits it again. It's that it's the same exact rock. And here in 1 Corinthians it says the rock traveled with them from place to place as they moved and as they went. So this rock apparently it's a rolling stone. It had its ability to travel, apparently, the way the wording is, at least. You could debate that or argue it's not, but that's how it's that's how it's worded. So in this instance, so for us standing before the rock, so in order, let's theoretically assume and just because we'll just assume the Torah, the way it's worded is correct, and that the rock actually did move. We'll just assume that's the case. The rock traveled with them. So how do rocks now those of you who had the opportunity to see different photographs of the big massive rock that they've seen and somebody a little bit you take pictures of it, this rock's like the size of I don't know, like two, three stories tall, it's really big, and it's split right in the middle. That's the rock they believe is the right one because there's evidence of, of erosion, water erosion from the middle of the rock as it, as, it, as it water came out. So imagine this rock, it's probably, I don't know, 40, 50 feet tall, whatever the big rock. How is it going to move? Now, it doesn't move on its own. Something or someone has to move it. Now, if you were there living at the time, the Israelites and they were doing their thing and they were going from camp to camp to camp, moving around and traveling. And this rock traveling with you, what are you seeing? Now we're assuming if the Torah wording is correct, where you are seeing an immovable object traveling with you. Immovable means it's so large you can't just move it. It's not that easy to move. So they're moving this rock and moving from place to place to place to place. It travels. How can it travel? It can't travel on its own. It doesn't have its own legs. So some spirit, some angel, some supernatural power has to pick the rock up to move the rock. So as far as God speaking for this rock, it implies that the movability of the rock apparently is done by a spirit being that is moving it, which is what you and I would naturally think if we saw this rock moving. It's like, that ain't moving by its own. Now it's going to fall. Uh, if it's picking up and moving around and walking and traveling with us, definitely some spirit has to be doing this work. So as far as him for the rock, I mean, this particular rock God is selecting, he's going to hang out with it or he's going to be around it or move it with them as they travel place to place. First Corinthians uses the same phraseology. It's a funny, funny, funny word. Um, same phrases in the form of the, that this rock traveled with them is that the rock was Christ as far as example, as far as the rock's concerned. I mean, the representation, what the rock, rock, rock re- resembled or meant as Christ pointed out, hey, living waters come forth from me. Get the rock that he is the example of. He is the citation of what this rock the symbolism, symbolism, be, symbolism behind it. As far as its movability required a God or a spirit to actually move the rock from place to place. Assuming the wording is correct in its, phrase, in its phrases. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe the wording of the Torah is incorrect and they just chose a phrase that was inaccurate and the rock didn't move at all. Rather, just stayed hung out there and they just wandered around it. I, I don't really know. But the way it's worded both by the New Testament authors, how they read the text, as well as how our Torah te- reads it as well, the rock apparently moves with them where they go from place to place. Uh, Pamela so, has a question. Yes, uh, Pamela, go ahead. 
Yeah, unmute yourself. We can't. We can't. Uh, we can't hear you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'd like to point out that it's a metaphor. It stands for something, mm-hmm. um, which is just a figure of speech. Um, it's a you know described in other parts as a sure foundation. Right. So you know, like when you're building a house, you don't build it on sand, um, and so it's a figure of speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to get physical about it, the Islams worship a actual rock. Yes, they do. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's in in the, I think Medina or something like yes. that, or yes. is it Mecca? Maybe. Yeah, it's Mecca. All right, so you yeah. should know that. So yeah. it's not talking about a big black or brown rock. <laughs> yeah. So in 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 the instance as far as Messiah, yeah, he he, he is. It's it's a it's a it's a symbolism. Uh, if we yes. think of if we think of uh, of objects, we're doing the Torah in particular. God is very, very heavy, heavy on symbols. He uses symbols all the time. He reuses them. We have we try to, try to we try to understand what the symbols are. And you're absolutely right. It's not that the rock itself is just just a piece of mineral deposit. It's not, the, itself just just a thing. Uh, it's not not really relevant or important. But yeah, the example of what it yeah, means it's, it's as far as him not being, an idol. Right. It's, right. <laughs> it's like the Islams have made it an idol. Yes, they have. Yes, they have. Uh, and that's okay, I'll strictly spell out. Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Larry, your hand is up. Uh, go ahead and unmute yourself, sir, and we can hear you as well. I think Pat covered my opinion about it pretty, oh, much, right. pretty well. The, the symbolism. And, and, that, and that's, 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 a, that's a purpose. And that when something is symbolically true, we call it, we use the word symbolism or metaphorically true. That's the same phrase, phrase that the Jews would call it spiritually true. Something that is spiritual, same thing as something, is phys- something that is metaphorical or symbolic. That's the spirit concept behind it. So we, we use the phrase spiritual as a separate, but actually uh, symbolism or, or metaphor is a, the English phrase, English term, for what, what, what Hebrew would call spiritual uh, in the same, same phrases. So the, the, the spiritual concept behind Messiah being the rock to travel through. So uh, his, his topic here in 1 Corinthians, since he's obviously talking to a bunch of Jews, though he's using Greek to write it, um, it is a spiritual idea he's trying to relay to them. That it is, it is Messiah. So as far as the rock actually moving or not, I, I, again, I wasn't there, so I don't know for certain. But uh, either way, God is there with that particular rock to make it do it, which means, spiritually speaking, God is with the Messiah to make that happen. So Messiah on his own, the man wouldn't successfully do what he could do without God being the one who's actually guiding him, do this, do this, do this. As he points out, I only do what my father has shown me to do. If the father didn't show him to do anything, what would he do? Well, by definition, nothing. Because if he only does what his father's supposed to show him to do, Father shows him nothing, therefore he does nothing. <laughs> it's, it's a basic principle of, 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 of how those systems work. Uh, Shay, your hand is up. Uh, go ahead. I was just thinking about how um, Jesus used to move through the crowds and he was there amongst the crowds. Unseen, or yeah. Unseen, and then, yeah. and then he'd be in one place and then he'd be another place. So right. I, don't think, I don't think necessarily that by implying that the rock was moving, that that meant that the rock was like, something that they could see literally moving with them. It could be that they, the rock was here, they got refreshed from it, and then they went on to the new spot, and then that same rock was there. Right. 
You know, it's that, not that it was necessarily yeah. journeying along with yeah. them, but that they each place they that. went, that rock, that rock was, was there. That. Yeah, yeah, it totally could and be. It, it reminded me of Christ. You know how he would just appear places and and then un- unappear. That's totally possible. They may not have had to actually watch it move, but just the fact it was there alone was be enough to say, "Wait, a minute, I did we actually travel?" There's an old <laughs> with that old uh, Jewish joke about the the people of Helm. They had they, they, the town was too small, so the driver said, "Okay." Let's just push the mountain over. So they all took the clothes off and they, they, and they pushed around as hard as they could. They hard as they could. They kept pushing all day long and they got hot. So they took the clothes off, set them down. They kept pushing and pushing. And they, meanwhile, thieves came and took all the clothing. They turned around, can't find the clothing. Where did our clothing go? And the brother said, Congratulations, you hit the fat mountain so far, you can't see the clothing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Silly joke. But the point is that, that you don't necessarily see those events happening, but they just do. And of course, this is obviously, the, the, it, was a, it was a silly joke. But the point is that, the rock can move and the Messiah can move. He can do different things and go to different places without necessarily having to be watched or seen being watched. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good metaphor to pay attention to and listen to and watch it as far as how it happens. Mm. Then it says watch it as far as just the end result. What's the end result? That's what the end result looks like. And that's, that's, what, that's what it was. Um, let's move forward a little bit because I went through way too much time on that. And I apologize. Um, let's see here. I am going to... Uh, Let's see. Okay, I'm going to skip the, the the song that he goes through. Um, other than to state, let's see her. This is chapter f- fifteen or so. Uh, part of the song, at least. Uh, as it, he points out, that the song itself is pretty heavily on you. The right hand of God did lots of good stuff for us and such. And, and that it, again, because we know the Messiah is supposed to be sitting sitting now, which is sitting at the right hand of God. That is, it is symbolic, of course, Messiah is being that. And so in, in, this, in the symbolism being here within this, uh, this context of our Torah portion, the right hand of God is the one who is responsible for both the salvation and the destruction. So it implies our Messiah, you know, the nice, you know, kind, kind baby he once was, so to speak. Um, he's actually responsible or will be responsible. Some argue was, some argue will be, some argue has been, who knows. Um, responsible for the salvation, but all responsible for the destruction process that makes it, makes it occur. So he is not a mild-spoken, uh, 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 kind, kind, but not a mild-spoken individual. As, as much like God himself it does, not, uh, does not suffer complaints too easily. When we jump into a little bit into the complaint section, this is an important concept to have to deal with this. Uh, I'm going to end the rest of the, 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 the bread sea part because that's We've covered it thoroughly enough. Um, I have a question for you. In chapter 15, they go to Mara, uh, which is the whole uh, bitter waters and such, and the cloud of fire is the one who led them there. He led them to poisoned water. Water those those poisonous or toxic to you. Couldn't drink it. And uh, in, in, in chapter 15, it discusses something very interesting, which I have a question for you, because it's a question that, that we should all ask ourselves at different times in our lives or different events in our lives. 15, let's jump down to verse 22 of chapter 15 of Exodus. Moses caused Israel to journey from the Red Sea of Reeds. They went out the wilderness of Shur. They went to a three-day period of the wilderness, but they did not find water. They came, they came to Marah, but they could not drink the waters of Marah because they were very bitter. Therefore, they named it Marah. The people complained against Moses, saying, What should we drink? He cried out to Yehovah, and Yehovah showed him a tree. He threw it into the water, the water became sweet. There he established for the nation a decree and an ordinance. There he tested it. 
is that if you hearken diligently to the voice of Jehovah your God and do what is just in his eyes, give ear to his commandments and observe all of his decrees, then any of the diseases that I place in Egypt, I will not bring upon you, for I am Jehovah, your healer. Tested them at the waters of Marah. Did they pass? Don't ask, don't ask this question, but many of us have gone through different tests and difficulties in our lives, right? We've gone through struggles and, and times where, okay, I don't know if I can handle this, whatever task would be, hard, difficult for me or my family or whatever I've gone through or, or am going through. And did we pass? That should be a question we should all ask anytime we go through a test. Did I pass? Did I pass the test? Did I fail the test? Did I succeed in what God wanted me to do? Did I fail what he wanted me to do? It's a question we should always ask any trial or difficulty we're going through. All right, God, here's a test. Here's a trial. Here's a difficulty. It comes. Did I pass it? Did I succeed? Because here's a, here's a follow-up to that question. Don't answer the question yet. Just a follow-up to the question. Let's pretend for a moment you were taking a class. I don't know. So an English class or, or a math class. Whatever case we get. A class. And you have to take this class in order to achieve the goal, your goal, your educational goal, whatever it may be. If you fail the class, what must you do to get that goal? You retake the class. So, if God tests us with something, if we fail a test, if our goal is to follow God, what must we do? Retake the test. There are times which I myself have observed in my own life and other people's lives too, which I go through a trial or a test or difficulty and I think I passed it and found out later that I'm going through it again. Not exact duplicate, but very, very, very similar. Which tells me, oh, I didn't pass it. I'm going through this again. I'm retaking the test. So when we go through tests and trials, difficulties, ask ourselves, all right, am I passing this? Did I pass it? Do I have to do it again? Did I not learn it right or correctly the first time? Or in some cases, the 10th time? Do it again? Yes, Jeff, your hands up. So is there any auditing classes in the University of Heaven? <laughs> auditing? <laughs> yeah, Lawrence in training. <laughs> uh, yes. To go through your tests in life, you have a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of tests to go through, right? And sometimes we repeat them and sometimes we don't. And we ask ourselves, did we pass our test or did we fail our test? Well, the, long and sh- the, the, the short answer is, if you're doing the test again, you probably didn't pass the first time. So if, you're, if, you're not, if you've passed your test and it's in your past, it's done in history and taken care of, the likelihood of have to retake the test is minimal. Now, you may see someone else taking the test or may have a new ask for the test you had not encountered before. 
but that's a different problem. So in this question, I have a question for you. Don't answer it necessarily, but to the people when God brought them this water, what was the test? And did they pass or did they fail? It's an interesting question. God brought them to water they could not drink. Knowing it's through a deserted area, you die without water. He knew they were not going to be able to drink this water, yet he led them to it. To test them, to test them to do what? What was the test? To verify they couldn't drink it? Well, that was obvious. The fact they would say, God, I can't drink this, that's obvious too. They're clearly going to say, I can't drink this, because it's not drinkable. So what was the test? What was he testing them on? As an explanation here, he points out the test apparently is focused on verse 26. If you hearken diligently to the voice of Jehovah your God and do what is just in his eyes, give ear to his commandments and observe all his decrees, then any of the diseases that I place in Egypt I'll not bring upon you, for I am Jehovah your healer. This test, though, seems strange. Apparently, it's focused upon them understanding that in order to receive the healing, heal the water, in order to fix the, the water they cannot drink, they will have to, in the future at some point, they don't have his commandments yet, they'll have to hear his commandments and observe his decrees to do exactly what he says. He was just in his eyes. The test is more of, as Pema pointed out earlier, a metaphor. This test wasn't truly a test. It's a metaphor of a test. You're going to see this stuff, children of Israel. You're going to see these difficulties, children of Israel. Here's an example of what I can do. And you've seen the example. You now tasted, pun intended, the example. That's the test. This is prepare for future tests. Prepare for what you're going to be doing. To receive this salvation, receive this sweet water, the water of, that you will need to live, water of life, another phrase I'm using on purpose, it's going to require something of you. You have more tests to go through. So it says whether he tested them to pass or to fail, there's not a test that they can pass, nor is it a test they can fail. It's just a test they have no control over. He's what led them to bitter water. They didn't choose the route. They didn't say, well, there's bitter water over here, therefore we'll go that route. They didn't have that option. They were following the cloud. This test was not passable, nor was it failable. Meaning God is the one who's going to have to heal the water, else they all perish. So the test was not a, a test in the form of here to, to see what you guys will do. So they had nothing that they, they could do. It has to find out what God was going to do with them, what your future tests look like. That's their test is here. Because we find out from chapter 16 the nature of these people. And what is their nature? Complaint, 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 complaint. One, two, three, four. Uh, three, four, a whole bunch of complaints. <laughs> now we know what their tests are going to be focused on. 
complainers. That's hard. How many of us complain? I complain. I try not to, but I complain. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> we complain. But God, yeah, we have that whining voice. We know that really well. Our children know it really well, too. You've all heard that for your children. Um, so our tests, this is an example of what they're going to be going through because this test was well beyond the control. The rest of the tests, however, are within their control. Now they're complaining. They're just complaining for, for the fact that we don't have this, therefore you should give it to us. We're better off in Egypt. Our tests get more elaborate. And as we see, which are 16, they fail these tests on a regular basis. So these tests, we show that there's, there's some interesting, here, interesting stuff here. They point out in chapter 16, as it continues on, uh, if we only, this is verse uh, three, yeah. If, if we had only died by the hand of Yehovah, the land of Egypt, we sat by a pot of meat, and we ate bread to satisfy, and you have taken the wilderness to kill the congregation by famine. And that's an inaccurate statement because they had animals with them. They had food with them. Not a lot, but they had, did have some. But the whole purpose of this was to God to say, okay, yes, you're not complaining about lack of food. So now let's deal with your complaint of lack of food. So we'll give you manna from heaven and quail uh, as far as quail in the evenings. So now we have tests of testing how much they actually trust their God. So in our example of the Mara test, the, Mara, the bitter water test, there's nothing they can actually do about it. They had the power to fix the water. The power to, they, they, God knows they, they need water. They knew they need water. Does had required God to have to fix the water, but the test is a point something out to them. It is a character test. The children of Israel now have displayed a character flaw. How many of you have dealt with character flaws? Yeah. And it's really hard when they point it out to us, isn't it? It's embarrassing, humiliating. It struggles. In particular, when our children show the same character flaw. And that hurts. That hurts hard. Because he's like, oh, crud. He or she's doing it because I do that. Now your character flaw spread from one person to another. Mob mentality, great. <laughs> it's DNA. Yeah, we'll, just, we'll, blame, we'll blame the DNA. Sure, I had no power over the DNA, right? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> character flaw. Now, unlike the passing of the Red Sea, which was an external problem, Pharaoh and the army, a character flaw is not an external problem. Does God say, don't worry about your character flaw, I'll fix it all, I'll just fix you, make you all nice and perfect, I'll polish you up, make you pretty? No, <laughs> he doesn't. The character flaw is that you actually have to address. I actually have to address it. No matter how humiliating and frustrating it may be, I have to address my character flaw. Because how can I point out to my son or daughter, or my friend, or my spouse, or anybody else, you have this character flaw? And they look at me and smirk on their face like, oh yeah? <laughs> look at your own. <laughs> Where'd you get it from? I no longer have a leg to stand on because I have a character flaw too, a big one, whatever it may be. Uh, so those character flaws, now we know what the test is. It's not just okay, obeying God, which is an important part. But they have a character flaw of complainers, malcontents. Nothing's good enough. 
thanks God you did all this good stuff for me thus far, but what about now? That was the past. That already, but what about now? Yeah. Character flaw. And we're all guilty of it. God took care of us thus far, but now what's he going to do? How's it going to fix my new problem? These are our character flaws. At least not all of us, but some of us. In this case, it is the character flaw of the children of Israel. So the tests that God's going to put them through demonstrates a serious character flaw. The same character flaw that every parent experiences when their children sit in the backseat and say, are we there yet? <laughs> and part of you watch this around and smack them saying, shut up. <laughs> I heard that so many times last 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, that, that has to go potty. Yeah, we hear that a lot. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, we have those a lot. The, the complaints, the nagging, and the dragging us down. Apparently, it bothers us a lot. And apparently, according to our Torah, it bothers God a lot too. <laughs> Are we there yet? Where's the promised land? Where's the food? Where's the water? Where's all the stuff you promised you give us? Are we there yet? God doesn't appreciate that. Um, I'm not saying he didn't know it was going to happen. He doesn't appreciate it. So our character flaw for the next 40 years, the children of the wilderness, is demonstrating the complaints. Not good enough. You fixed it thus far, but now what are you going to do? As if the 10 plagues were a distant memory and didn't matter anymore. You see, God does not have a short-term memory. <laughs> His memory is long-term. When you think long-term, you look back and you're reflective. Oh, look at all the many things he's done over the past 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years. That's long-term memory, not what did you do the last three weeks? It wasn't good enough. Three weeks, yeah. Fourth week, he made a miracle. But it's in three weeks, the last three weeks, he's done nothing. There's no miracles. Yeah, I have food from heaven, but that's not good enough. The character flaw, we have a, a very, 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 very short-term memory viewpoint. Little tiny minute chunks as if the past didn't happen. Yeah, Manasseh, forgetful. You forget the past. <laughs> we have no memory of the past. What's here and now? This is what we focus on. God, the here and now. This is how business works. This is how life works. No, it's not. How did you get here? The character flaw is, how'd you get here? Look at the journey you took. Look at the journey you're walking through. How do we achieve and accomplish where we're at? That is our character flaw that points out that Jesus Israel are having. The 10 plagues, the Red Sea, the miracles that took place. Now we're all going to die of starvation. Thanks, Moses. <laughs> We're going to say, oh, it's ungratefulness. Yeah, yeah, sure. You can argue ungratefulness. That's probably part of it too. But the complaints of the past, the past, what's the here and now? What matters? That's not, that's not sufficient. That's not good enough. God doesn't work that way. God looks on long term. There's a reason why David was a man after God's own heart. He knew his history really, 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 really well. So did Solomon. It was history really well. 
He knew what happened to the past. He knew how he got where he was. Messiah knows his history, knew his history. Yeah, both knew and knows <laughs> really, really well. They know how they got there. It did put things in perspective, but it's a character flaw that he is now pointing out. Children of Israel, I'm guilty of it too. You got me this far, God, but what about tomorrow? What about next week? You gave me the tools to fight, but now what? Yeah, character flaw. So we have, obviously, go, we're going to conclude there. Um, I'm not going to go through Romans. I was going to go through Romans today, for part of, a couple of chapters there, but uh, Romans 6 in particular, uh, discuss the details. Um, regarding these, 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 these tests, we're not sure, if, if nothing else, you walk away with today, if you're not sure, when it comes to a test or a trial or temptation that you think you pass and you're going through it again, just be aware it's probably because you didn't pass it. If you're doing this again, like I've seen this before, I've gone through this in the past, oh, God, I don't want to do this again. Because you didn't pass it the first time. Now, you may have partially passed, and a D is so technically passing, <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good grade. And you say, yeah, I want better than that. Let's do it again. I want better than a D. Maybe it'd be a, a straight F, but a D is not very good either. Let's do better than that. So you may run through trials and tests again. As these Israelites went through many, many times, trials and tests, and repeat again and again. They didn't pass them, at least not with a high enough grade to pass. So sometimes we'll go through trials and difficulties, and James is right. These are good things to go through them. It's a positive thing to go through them. Tests may give us struggles, but it really is. Good point, David. Daniel, he has a chat box. He pointed out, I really appreciate hearing this topic about character flaws. I may not complain openly, but internally as evidenced by reactions. Great question, but Ford. It is true. We all run across these. These are important things to note that, hey, I can complain about this or that other thing. I can say, well, I'm, I'm better than so-and-so. Really? But are you? Are we? Am I? No, I'm not. Well, I'm not a murderer. Well, yeah, most people aren't murderers. I can't use that as a good example. I say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't steal. Yeah, most people don't steal either. <laughs> Comparing yourself to, to the major flaws, major sins, that's not sufficient. It doesn't mean anything. Most people don't murder. Most people don't steal. Character flaws, I don't complain. Ooh, okay, that's, that's a harder scenario. There's a very, very small number of people that fall in that category. And honestly, I have yet to meet one. <laughs> I've heard of somebody, but I've yet to actually meet one who doesn't complain about anything. Uh, we all complain, whether internally or externally, we all complain. This character flaw has to be addressed, whether it's addressed here and now in the, in the Torah or it's just here and now in our personal lives. That test will always be brought forward for every time we fail it. No fun, but if God gave you the yes. tools to go to war, go to war. Yeah, we should be he grateful that we even have the opportunity to retest. I'm sorry, say it again. We should be grateful for the opportunity for a retest because, like, when you were in university, many times, like your final exam, yeah. you had that dead week before the final exam, right? Just because you had one shot. One shot. That's it. Yep. And that's it. So we should be grateful that God isn't one shot, and that's it. Right. <laughs> he gives the options. Hey, let's try this again in case you uh, screwed up, which many of us do. 
Yeah, it is good to have a new test because sometimes, unfortunately, in some people's tests, it is their final test. I mean, they, they pass away during it. And that does happen as far as just your test in life. But uh, be grateful you're still alive to take it again. Uh, you have another shot to do it. So that does happen too, unfortunately. And uh, the Pharaoh and his army, unfortunately, failed their test in the form of they died in it. They couldn't go back and retest it again. Granted, they had 10 plagues to try to pass their test with. So I really can't, they can't say I didn't have enough shots. They had a lot of tries, <laughs> but they failed their test after 10 tries. And that the 11th one with the whole Red Sea, yeah, guess what? You'd have, I'm not giving you a 12th. 11th is good enough. Almighty God, our great Father, thank you for Shabbat day of rest, our day of education and wisdom. That we be wise, Father, for you and for your purposes in our lives. That we share with one another the great things you've shown us for our friends, our loved ones, those we take care of. And Father, for our children and, our, and many generations to come. As those who we've influenced over life will we'll see and, and observe your ways and observe your handiwork and praise you for it. May we always have your praise on our lips. Father, we ask you to bless us the rest of our Shabbat, our day of rest, our time with, with one another to, to, to fellowship and to chit-chat and to discuss and to, and to share the great things you've done for with us in our existence. We glorify you, Father, and ask your blessing in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.